Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. So delighted to be here. Thank you, Dr. Roberts. Dr. Randy, we watch his teaching and his preaching weekly, and I'm just very honored to stand in his spot. Thank you, Pastor Adrian and the entire pastoral team for great leadership and facilitating our worship experience today. Following this freedom motif, I'm feeling the need to direct our attention now to the book of John, the eighth chapter and the 36th verse. It states there clearly and succinctly, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That text is probably best illustrated by the Gospel according to St. Mark, the fifth chapter. As I preach on the subject unshackled today, I want to showcase it through Mark 5, in the context of the theme of John 8, 36. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, and they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, <coughs> who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. But Jesus saith unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And verse 15 declares, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Father, be with this word today in Jesus' name. Amen. In this, the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Mark, as well as John 8.36, I find, and perhaps you do as well, what must be one of the most interesting chapters in the entire Word of God. Now, another chapter like it in the Bible. For in Mark 5, the writer articulately conveys 
what it's like to lose your mind, what it's like to be trapped and enshrouded by circumstances that you cannot manage nor contain. But it also talks about the dynamic liberating and emancipating power of Jesus Christ. So thus, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, we who are endeavoring to follow in the footprints of the God-man Jesus Christ, we find ourselves living in very hostile environments. Would you agree? Really, in a very perilous period of history. Wolf Blitzer puts it this way. We're living in an age of crises, conflicts, and confrontations. We're living in an age where goodness has been gored by the bull of iniquity. We're living in an age where holiness is hated. Truth has been trampled underneath the insensitive feet of men and women. In an age where Christ is cheerfully crucified, his presence is not welcome, nor is it wanted. I've got to add, though, that this is not peculiar nor unique to the 21st century. For if I read my Bible right and understand it correctly, this has always been the case. Christ has always been hated by many. He's often been alienated and ostracized and excommunicated from society. Such is the case in this story, this account of this demoniac of Gadara. You know, Mark focuses on one man, but the other synoptic gospels, they tell the same story and they talk about many demon-possessed men. But Mark probably seeking to convey and showcase the magnitude and the enormity of this man's problem, he focuses on one man. Picture the scene in your mind's eye if you can. Jesus has been teaching and preaching by the seaside. And now being physically and emotionally exhausted, he beseeches his disciples. Let's cross over to the other side. May I suggest figuratively today on this Sabbath that has been designated as Black History Sabbath, let's cross over to a higher level of commitment to Jesus Christ. Let's cross over to a greater investment along the path of cultural competency and diversity. Let's cross over to a deeper level of piety in the things of God. Let's cross over to the other side. Well, there to meet him on the other side was a land that was considered to be Gentile territory, the land of Gadara. Heavily influenced by the Hellenistic culture, if you please. You see, they knew more about Mount Olympus than they knew of Mount Zion. They knew more about Zeus than they knew of Jehovah. They knew more about the philosophical patterns of Plato than they did of the moral mandates of Moses. But despite this culture, Christ went on anyhow. Why? His divine antenna picked up a distress signal. Somebody was in need. Somebody was entrapped. Somebody was shackled. Somebody was calling on the name of Jesus. Well, there to meet him was a man whose dilemma was serious. He was disowned by his people. He was living in a cemetery, 
and not the least of his problems, he was possessed with demons. Here he is. I've endeavored to look at this man. His peer group condemns him. He's forced to live in a graveyard, and he's possessed with demons. Tragedy, tragedy is, I understand that graveyards are designed for dead folks and not the living. But his home is a tomb. His companions are the skeletal fragments of those who sleep in the dust. Somebody has said this man was not only emotionally emulsified and mentally mortified, but he was also spiritually strangulized. He was dead, a spiritually dead demoniac. And it highlights the fact, my brothers and my sisters, that either we're going to be directed by God or driven by the devil. Either we're going to be influenced by Jesus or infested by the devil. Either we're going to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit or desecrated by an evil spirit. There is no middle ground of neutrality. There's no straddling the fence when it comes to spiritual things. I wonder, what is it that caused this man to live in such a condition? Like many of us, was it that he couldn't cope with the problems that he faced? Or perhaps he just couldn't bear his burdens in the heat of the day? Or perhaps he just couldn't stand up under the pressures, the pressures of staying in school, the pressures of finding suitable employment, the pressures of being a social outcast in society, the pressures of seeing the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, or perhaps his sins had pushed him further and further to a point of no extrication. I don't know what the issues really were, but Ellen White makes an observation, my favorite author. She says, this man was leading a normal life like many of us. One day he took a step, and the devil took control of his mind. Somebody has said, the world could see the scars on the outside of this man, but nobody could see the wounds on the inside. Here he is. He lives in a cemetery. Let me suggest something. Spiritually, Whenever a person turns his or her back on God, there's but one place for that person to live, and that's in the tombs of iniquity. Hear me. It matters not how intelligent you might think you are. You may have been on the dean's list every semester in college. I'm not against education. It matters not how many degrees you've got behind your name. But without Jesus, you're living amongst the tombs. You may dress in all the finest of clothes and all the designer labels, but without Jesus, you're living amongst the tombs. Your home might look like the Taj Mahal, but without Jesus, you're living amongst the tombs. There's but one place for a man or a woman who retreats from God and reality, and that's in the tombs of iniquity, the tombstones of irrationality. I can imagine they hadn't buried anyone in that part of the cemetery for quite a long while. Anyone who walked by automatically quickened their footsteps. Must have been some mischievous kids, you know, some bad kids, I don't know, from the hood maybe, I don't know, who would take rocks and throw at that man and, and taunt him and say, hey, crazy man, and I could hear the sound of alarm that would be given as mothers would gather up their kids like hens gathering their food, and strong men in masses would pounce upon that man and bind him once again after he's broken out with leather straps and iron chains, throwing him back into the cemetery. You know, sin is just like that. The Bible says, 
The wicked in Isaiah are like the troubled sea, which cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You must not live where I live. I'm from New York. I currently live in Atlanta. I lived in L.A. before I went back home. Friday nights, the clubs are packed, running from man to man, from woman to woman, sucking on the bottle, popping pills. You see, we have a message to share for people who are searching for peace, Dr. Palmer. Peace doesn't come in a bottle, but it comes in the body of Christ. Peace doesn't come in a pill, but it comes in a person. Peace doesn't come in a sexual encounter, but it comes in a savior. And his name is Jesus. Mark says this man is so frustrated with himself. He's so angry. He's so hurt. He's so done with life. He's so abused. He's so, un, he's so shackled. He's so enshrouded. He's so trapped. He's so hurt that he hurts himself further. He takes sharp rocks and he lacerates his flesh and, and he pulls his hair out by the roots and he gouges his eyes and Oh, he's hurting himself. And that's kind of how culture is. We all on our way to church, on our way from church, we pass a whole lot of people who are hurting themselves. Doesn't matter what jurisdiction you're a part of. You pass people who are, who are, who are beat out and done out and done with life and tired of being tired. They succeed in hurting themselves. And you want to know what that looks like? Ask the young man who's overdosed with a crack pipe or a needle stuck in his arm. If he could, he'd tell you. He's only succeeded in hurting himself. Ask the brother whose liver is bloated, whose heart is failing. If he's clear because of alcohol at the end of the day, he will tell you he's only succeeded in hurting himself. Ask the woman who walks the streets by night selling her wares to feed her children. If she's clear and honest and forthright, she will tell you she's only succeeded in hurting herself. Ask the woman. Ask the guy who may have quietly delved into immorality. Nobody knows but them and God. They had fun, but at the end of the day, when it's all over, when the party subsides, if they're clear, they will tell you they've only succeeded in hurting themselves. What is this man really asking? As he howls, as he moans, as he lacerates his flesh, as he cries and he moans all night long. Late in the evening, you could hear him crying loudly. Early in the morning, you could hear him whimpering softly. He's just hurting himself. What is he really asking? He's asking culture, does anybody care? Is anybody interested in what I'm going through? Has anybody taken any subtle observation of my circumstances? Does anybody care? You know, teenage suicide is higher now at the end of 2021. This is hot off the press, off the sociological press, than it's ever been before. More young people are taking their lives now than they ever have before. And they're taking their lives in protest. They're wondering, does anybody care? And the church, and this is a beautiful building, but I'm not talking about the brick and the mortar. I'm talking about you and me. We've got to give an answer. We've got to go out where the rubber meets the road. We got to find that junkie, that druggie, and offer him a new high in Jesus Christ. We got to find that drunk and offer him a drink that won't make him drunk, but he'll be drinking from the crystal fountain that shall never run dry. Does anybody care?
I can see Jesus now as he's making his way across the lake. And that divine antenna picks up the signal of that SOS, of that crying trap man. Yes, there's somebody who cares about you. Jesus is his name. Help is on the way. I love Desire of Ages. It paints the picture so beautifully. Ellen G. White says, you know, darkness has a way of making dark places look strange. For out of the elongated shadows of night, she says, suddenly out of the tombs, as Jesus and the disciples are getting there, this eerie form appears, and he lets loose with a shriek that seemed to come from the very pits of hell itself. As they look at the man, he's stark naked. He's foaming at the mouth. His eyes look like two coals of fire from the burning hell itself. He's screaming and hollering. He's jumping up and down, and the disciples take one look at him, and their blood runs cold and curdles within their veins, and they leave Jesus standing there all by himself. Oh, church of the living God, how easily we forget how the Lord has helped us through and out of our last crises. Why, you know the story of Mark 4, just coming over the lake the night before. The winds and the waves became a little unruly. And the lightning had begun to write a, a flaming message of descent in the sky. And the thunder was muttering in protest against the eastern horizon. And everybody on board was afraid. Master, carest thou not that we perish? You know the story. Jesus stood up and told the winds to shut up and the waves to be still. That same hand that calmed the storm. The same hand that quieted the elements. The same hand that stemmed the tide was held up against these raging demons and this one man. And the Bible is clear through the spirit of prophecy as well that these demons were raging, but they were helpless. You know what that tells me? All hell can break loose in your life come Monday morning. But as long as your hand is in God's hand, the demons of hell, they might be raging, but they'll be helpless. Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. You know, these, these demons, as they looked at Jesus, they had a sense of recall. You know, I was sharing with my group this morning, you know, once you've been whipped, you never forget it. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question that means do not answer out loud. But let me ask you. Don't tell on yourself. Have you ever been beaten up before? Don't answer. I can tell you I have. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. I was in the seventh grade, middle school, sitting next to a little Asian fella. He was smart. He got A's on his exams. Don't worry about them PhDs and stuff they say I have. I got D's on my exams. Oh, I was a ball player. I played ball. I was a young athlete in middle school. And I recall, ladies and gentlemen, I just didn't like this Asian fella. He had, he had long hair, and I had kinky hair. He had slanted eyes. I didn't like them slanted eyes. He got A's on his exam. I got D's. I didn't like him. So I took my pencil eraser, and I started poking him in his side just to be aggravated. And he says, ouch, that hurts. Please stop. I said, no, I don't want to stop. <laughs> Teacher was writing on the board, and he stopped writing, and he turned around and said, Ronald, pick up your pencil and keep your hands to yourself and leave Choi alone. Get your work done. He turned back around. As soon as he turned around, I looked at Choi, and I started again. This time I turned it around. I started poking him with the point. 
And he said, ouch, let's not do that. Let's be friends. I want to be your friend. I said, I don't want to be friends. And then he gave a plaintiff wail. He says, I don't want to fight. I said, I want to fight. I was taller than he was. He was a little short fella, and I was a little tall. Believe it or not, I had muscles. Don't be looking at me like that. I had muscles, okay? And basically, I was a taller than this fella. I could beat him. I could take him. So I just knew I had him. Well, the bell rang, you know, at 3 o'clock, 3.30. There was always a special feature at the flagpole in the front courtyard of the school. Well, the special feature that day was for Choi and myself. Now, this is before social media. I don't know how the word got around. There were no texting, Instagram. There was nothing. Somehow the word got around and the crowds were there. It was like the WWF. <laughs> they were waiting. I got to that flagpole. Choi's trying to get away. I said, come back here, Choi. He's trying to get away. And I'm pushing him. He says, stop. Let's be friends. I said, I don't want to be friends. Come here, boy. And I said, put up your dudes. Let's go at it. And I lunged at him. And the last thing I remember, <laughs> I saw something like this. And he kicked me down to the concrete. My head hit that cold ground. And when it hit the ground, I looked up, and the heavens opened. And I saw the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and all the heavenly constellations. Well, I'm not going down like that. There was a hush over the crowd. They couldn't believe it. This bully Ron Smith getting beaten down by little Choi like this? Oh, I couldn't go down like that. So I jumped up again, and I lunged at him, and again he says, ha! Kicked me back down to the earth, my head hit that ground, and then I saw some of the most beautiful colors. <laughs> and then, in that moment, with my back on the ground and my head swirling, seeing beautiful constellations and colors, I began to pray. <laughs> you know what my prayer was? Lord, please end this fight. <laughs> no, folks, don't laugh at me now. That's a good prayer. Say that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. When you're in trouble, even when you started your own mess, you can still pray. Well, I prayed. Lord, get me out of this. This is embarrassing. People are watching. There are a couple of young ladies in that crowd that I like. You know, I want to be a muscle bound. I didn't want them to see me getting beaten down like that. That was humiliating. humiliating. Pastor Adrian, I couldn't stand that humiliation. And there I lay. And I prayed. But my, that's a good prayer I prayed. Lord, get me out of this mess. But then my prayer twisted and got a little jiggy. Then I said, Lord, just like you were with David when he killed David the shepherd boy, when he killed the lion with his bare hands. Lord, just like you were with Samson when he killed 10,000 Philistines. Be with me this last time, dear Jesus, as I take this Asian out in your name. <laughs> what an ignorant prayer. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer every prayer we pray? But, you know, the Lord really answered the prayer because, I, of course, um, I jumped up again with newfound strength. And I, I lunged at him again. And this time he was swirling around like a top. Kind of reminded me of somebody named Bruce Lee. And he was making all of these noise and his body was doing all of these gyrations. And it's like he was flying almost. His hair was all over his head. And he was saying, and I lunged at him again. He kicked me again. This time his foot caught me in the head, and it kicked me against the flagpole, and then my head hit the ground. 
I remember saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. <laughs> Blood pouring out of my nose and mouth. And then he took his little handkerchief and he leaned down. He says, Ron, are you okay? <laughs> and he picked me up, walked me to the washroom, wiped the blood off my collar. Of course, the young ladies that I thought liked me, they kind of walked away pitifully, you know, and, you know, left me as a little pitiful specimen there. And basically I went to the bathroom and got cleaned up, came out. The crowd was still there. I was hoping they'd be gone. They were still there. And then I put my arm around his shoulders and I said, man, we ought to be friends. We ought to hook up. <laughs> Do you realize I prayed and the Lord answered the prayer many years later, many years later, 22 years ago from now. You see, I'm really, a, I'm an old man now. I'm just old with dye in my head. That's all. I'm trying to look young. I'm trying to look young. This is just dye. I'm as old as dirt. Okay. But 22 years ago, 22 years ago, I, I suffered a stroke and I was crippled by the stroke. Doctors said I would never walk again. There were a team of doctors in a teaching university hospital in New York City, Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center. And there I lay, the team of doctors around, one doctor on his smock, he had a little thing, said, uh, Dr. Choi. <laughs> and he walked, he says, hey, Ron, remember me? <laughs> My first instinct was, dear God, no, okay? <laughs> And so I said, somehow I just don't have a recollection. I don't have a recall. I recalled. I don't have a recall. He says, I'll cut it out. Knock it off, Ron. He says, let me ask you, do you still have that left hook? I said, no, Doc Joy. I said, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. He says, we're going to get you up. We're going to get you out of the... the... The guy is my friend to this very day. He stuck with me. He helped me, even when he wasn't my physician. But more importantly, the moral of this story is I had a sense of recall. These demons in human flesh, they recognize this is the same being, meaning Jesus, who kicked them out of heaven in the first place. And if demons recognize who Jesus is, then everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Well, approximately 2,000 demons ran into 2,000 pigs. The pigs committed suicide, ran violently down a steep place into the sea, the text says, and were choked in the sea. That's another way of saying that the NASDAQ fell. <laughs> the Dow Jones Industrial Average reached an all-time low. Because the Bible says those that fed the swine, they came out to see what happened to the economy, to see what happened, to see what it was that was done. But what did they see? They saw a man sitting and clothed and in his right mind. He's not screaming and hollering now, but there he sits with the docility of a little child. There he sits with the innocence of a little baby. There he sits in all gentleness. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now Jesus is about to leave because the folk want to kill him because he killed the economy. Master, can I go with you? The man says, Jesus says, no, sir. Why? I need you to go back to your neighborhood. Go back to your church. Go back to the place where you had influence in times past. Go back and show yourself to the people. Show them the great things I've done for you. Show them how you were shackled and how I unshackled you. Can you see him? As he's escorted down the dusty roads of downtown Loma Linda. I'm sorry, downtown Decapolis. <laughs> people are asking, what happened to you? He says, I don't know. All I know is I met a man named Jesus. What does that mean? 
It means I gave him my sorrows and he gave me his joys. I gave him my nightmares and he gave me his dreams. I gave him my life and he made me a brand new creature. All I can say is that I'm free. But question for us today, would you be free from your burdens, whatever they are? Guess what? There's power in the blood of Jesus. How do I know? They took him one day. They strung him up. They took him down. They put him in a tomb. They put guards on the outside and a stone at the door. But he kicked free. And because he's free, I'm free. And because he's loose, I'm loose. And because he's got power, I've got power. I don't know what situation you find yourself in today. The doctor might declare that you will never get well. The diagnosis might be that you will never, ever see again. The divorce might be final. The house might foreclose. And it's under those circumstances that you honestly begin to wonder, does God love me? Does God care? Is he going to leave me in this trapped condition? Is he going to unshackle me? Does God really care? I'm here to say in closing, oh, yes, he cares. And his heart is touched by your entrapped conditions. I see him right now. I see him as I'm talking to you. I see him, the great God of the universe at creation. He doesn't need to get his hands dirty. He doesn't need to stoop by an unnamed stream. He's already proven what he could do. When he claps his hands, there's light. When he calls, the trees jump forth. At the will of his mind, the birds of the air and the beasts suddenly appear. But for you and for me, he stooped. Divine knees got dirty. I got to leave you with Jesus now. What is he? Just a neurologist when you've had a stroke? Just a cardiologist if you've got a bad heart? What is he? Is he just a good passenger when you've got a sinking boat? Is he just a grocer when you've got some hungry folk? I'm glad he's all of that. But thank God he's more. When you don't have a job, he's the best employment agent in the universe. When you mess up your reputation and people don't trust you anymore and you try to come back to church, he's a robe to cover your shame. He's Adam's redeemed. He's Abraham's sacrifice. He's Isaac's hope. He's Jeremiah's bones of fire. He's Amos's justice. He's Hosea's love. He's Micah's mercy. He's Esther's determination. He's my bread when I'm hungry. He's my water when I'm thirsty. When I get down to my last dime, he steps right in on time. Somebody has said, he's my sacrifice. He's my priest pleading for my atonement. He's my Shekinah that lights the dark way. He's the veil through which I reach God. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Savior for any sinner who wants salvation. He's intercessor supreme. He's mediator, redeemer, restorer. He's the only one in our trapped conditions who can unshackle us. Oh, I love him today. Do you love him today? God bless you. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.